Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading the people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and took leave then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and went with it, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea he had, his, had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. They came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him 
and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord our God, we come now to your word. We ask that you would bless it to us, open it to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, bless us this evening for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Well, most of you have had a limited time offer of one sort or another. Perhaps you had an opportunity to make a big purchase like uh, a car or a house and you had a a set time that you could make your decision and then you took too long and and missed that opportunity. Perhaps you've had an opportunity to spend time with with a loved one and decided to wait and it ended up being a poor decision and you missed out on an opportunity that's Uh, You wish that you could get back. There is an old song called Cats in the Cradle, a song uh, about regret over lost years of uh, the father who had uh, been so busy with his work and stayed busy and and didn't spend time with his son. And then when his son uh, grew up, then uh, he realized that he hadn't spent that time with him and his son was too busy to spend time with him. And so it's just a, a... Kind of a heart-wrenching song about lost years, irreplaceable years. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offered freely to all. But the gospel is a limited time offer. Extended to each person for an unknown amount of time. We aren't given a, a time frame. We don't know how long it is offered to us. For some, it is offered over many years. For some, it's offered with a very short time frame. The thieves on the cross had an opportunity to put their trust in Christ as they were dying. And... Perhaps, uh, perhaps even expecting a few days. Many times crucifixions took uh, a number of days uh, to actually uh, bring death. But for those men, they had only a number of hours before the priests requested that they be killed. One took that time and used it well. He ceased his scoffing and trusted in Jesus. The other continued his scoffing. We're given this, the opportunity to follow Christ. It is extended to us. The offer of the gospel is extended to us, but eventually if that offer is not acted upon, that offer will come to an end. It will be taken away forever. And this reality ought to motivate us to listen carefully, to not harden our hearts. 
for those who have not turned to Christ in faith, to turn to Christ in faith. For us who have, uh, for those who have uh, turned to Christ in faith, to not harden their hearts in obedience to Christ. This is the other aspect of a hardened heart and, and the, the offer that is given, not for salvation, but, but for, uh, uh, for obedience to Christ. Because we are to live in a certain way as believers. And oftentimes those who decide, no, I will live as I please, I will call myself a Christian, claim that I am in Christ, and then live as though I'm a non-believer, eventually they too become hardened. Perhaps you've noticed this. Perhaps you know someone that this has happened to. Again and again, they are called to repentance. Not that initial repentance, someone who's first putting their faith in Christ, but the, re- the ongoing repentance that's necessary in a believer. And they continually harden their hearts. And eventually, perhaps you've noticed this, you've seen this happen, they're hardened. They don't hear anymore. The offer of the gospel is given freely. So we have here, uh, as Paul continues his, uh, his ministry, is ramping up the ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, we looked at last time at Paul there in Athens, and uh, he's, he went up against, not, not just that, previously mostly we'd seen God-fearing Gentiles. Uh, so we'd seen Cornelius, and, and we saw Lydia, and we've seen different ones. They were Gentiles, but they were already pursuing in some way, try, uh, seeking for God. Lydia was there in, in a place of prayer, and that's where Paul found her. Now he's going up against the philosophers and the pagans and uh, doing battle with them. But the, the call to repentance is there. God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that offer of the gospel went out to the pagans, to the idol worshippers, to the Stoics and the Epicureans. And now uh, he continues his travels and he comes to Corinth, uh, a church that we're quite familiar with. And so here is uh, we get to see the beginnings, the founding, uh, the planting of the Corinthian church and and uh, a church that just had uh, a lot of issues. Uh, It it could be a a modern church, all of the issues that uh, that the Corinthian church was going to go through. Uh, one Presbyterian pastor, Rich Gans, wrote a book called 20 Controversies That Almost Killed a Church about the book of 1 Corinthians. They were people who were given to scandalous living, bickering between cliques, lawsuits and divorce and immorality and drunkenness. They were inconsiderate of others and on and on the problems went. But the gospel had gone out to Corinth. And you see here God saying, I have many people here. We were talking about this morning, God glorifying himself by calling an unworthy people. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 1. 
God glorifies himself in calling unworthy people to himself. And the Corinthians were an unworthy people. But the gospel went out to them. It was given freely to them. And you see Paul here, just as as he goes, everywhere he goes, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's always talking. He's, he's disputing in the synagogues and teaching them from the scriptures. He's speaking as wherever he has opportunity. The gospel is going forward freely. And it, he had said in, in those, uh, in the, uh, there in his speech at the Areopagus, he said that those former times of darkness, God had, God had overlooked. There was a, a time when, when the, the words of life were only, they were centralized there in Judea. That was the light of the world, that singular, that really that geographic spot. It was centralized there. And everyone else, they lived in darkness. All those other societies. And you talk about any number of places out in, uh, in, you know, in Europe, in Great Britain, China, all those places living in darkness without the gospel. But now in these times, God commands all men everywhere to repent. The gospel era is one of global preaching. And you see here the emphasis on on the Gentiles. It is a place of global preaching. You even see here that the the gospel was active in Rome already, in Italy. And we see here Priscilla and Aquila are introduced and they, uh, their names come up a couple of more times in, uh, in the scriptures. And uh, it's people with whom Paul had a, a developed a good friendship. They were able to bond over a common skill set in, uh, in tent making. But they had had to leave, uh, they had had to leave Rome. Uh, because the Caesar said, enough with the bickering. The Jews apparently uh, had been treating the Christians in the, uh, in the same way in Rome as they had everywhere else with persecution. And so they, uh, there was an uproar. And so then Caesar said, just get out. Jews, go away. Get out. You don't want all the, the rioting and the bickering and the, all of this. Go. And so then... Uh, apparently, that, that seems to be the reason uh, for uh, Priscilla and Aquila having to leave. But you see here, everywhere that the Christians are going, the gospel is being proclaimed. It's being presented. It's being presented in the synagogues to the Jews, through the scriptures, preaching from the prophets. It's being presented to uh, those who are more into philosophy and those who are in, into pagan religions. It's going everywhere. It's being offered freely. And this is still how it ought to be. There are those who are called specifically to the work of evangelism, as Paul was, to the work of preaching. There are those who have that specific calling but we are all called to bear testimony to the hope that is in us. And so for all of us, we ought to be ready, whether it's 
parents or grandparents giving, taking those opportunities to speak to the children about the gospel. Or, or perhaps it's at your workplace or to those with whom you have friendships and always ready to share, always ready to speak well of Christ and to present that offer to, uh, to others. But it is an offer that's not given indefinitely. The offer of the gospel is not given indefinitely. Here Paul has been speaking. He's been reasoning in verse 4. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then you look down to verse 6. And when they opposed and reviled him... He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And this is a significant picture here. You see this here. Paul has been... Uh, been giving everything that he can. He's been preaching, and we've seen him. He, he preaches from the prophets. He uses the Old Testament scriptures, says, this is the Christ. And we saw that at the end of chapter 18, that Apollos, that's what Apollos was doing. He was powerfully refuting the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures, by the Old Testament, that the Christ was Jesus. This is what Paul was doing as well taking them to the scriptures and pointing, this is irrefutable. There is no other one who can fulfill this. This is the resurrected Messiah. And they reviled him and they mocked him. It says that they were blaspheming. This is Something that, that happens, uh, something that happens in, in every place where theology is discussed. Uh, if you go online, it's uh, get in one of the theology forums or talk on uh, X, I guess it's called. That's not Twitter anymore. You talk about theology in in any way, any aspect of. Uh, soteriology or doctrines of God or anything like that. There are those who, who are there just to discuss. They're not looking to find the truth about God. They're not looking to make sure that their beliefs are biblical, but they're just there to fight. It's, it's sort of a, a pugilistic exercise. They, want, they just like it. it it's, it's something like a boxing match. They just want that, that back and forth. There are those who are mockers, those who are scoffers, there just to make fun of others. It's not a serious uh, discussion that has to do with eternal issues. It's just verbal jousting. I wonder how many of those were in this synagogue here as Paul went week after week after week to speak to them. And it seems here that the disrespect was just ramping up, the mockery ramping up. 
They weren't just wasting his time. They were contrarians. They were disrespectful. And this happens quite frequently today. And it, it's, it's a curious thing. Even if you disagree with the gospel message, even if you're, you have questions about its truth, it is still a message of eternal life being offered. Why would you mock it? Even if you're curious, even if you're not fully convinced uh, about the resurrection or something like this, it's still the message is one of eternal life extended to undeserving people. Why would you mock it? And yet that's exactly what most do. Here it's, you have a picture that is given to us of Paul saying some dreadful words. Your blood be on your own heads. And he shakes the dust off of his coat. This is uh, something that Jesus taught his apostles to do. It's similar to the shaking the dust off of their feet. Luke chapter 9. Jesus tells them as he's sending them out, whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whatever, wherever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And then Luke chapter 10 and verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And then uh, picking up again in verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Sodom, you remember that? That town of just shocking immorality. Shocking immorality. So evil that God wiped it away. That even to this day it is dirt and sulfur and salt. Nothing can grow there. That's the wickedness of Sodom and God says that for those who refuse his preachers, those who turn them away, who refuse to listen, it will be better for Sodom in the day of judgment than for that place. And so this is a solemn, solemn thing that Paul is doing here. This synagogue has become so calloused they now refuse him and they're, they're, the way that they're treating him, the way that they're speaking, the disrespect and the mockery that they're using has become so great that he shakes off the dust against them. And for that synagogue, for those people, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for them. The offer of the gospel had, was no longer going to be made there. 
That's a serious thing. It's, it's a curious thing that Jesus has done in giving authority to leaders in the church, equipping them. Jesus said that he would give the keys of his kingdom. And of course, we, we recognize the keys. Uh, uh, we, we sort of consolidate that in the, the, the ministry of the word and in church discipline. With one, you open the doors to heaven, so to speak. With the other, you close. And here you see a door being shut. It's a solemn thing. It's a solemn thing. And you see Paul here, he goes just right next door. And so it really, it seems symbolic here what Paul has done. He says, your blood be on your heads, and he moves next door. He's not going far. But here, symbolically, you see the moving away. And there's, there's almost, to me, I, I couldn't help but think of, there's almost a, a, a note of, of Ezekiel when the Spirit of God left the temple in Ezekiel's vision, where the cloud moves out from the temple and it's going farther and farther away. And here Paul moves out from the synagogue and goes next door their blood upon their own heads. It's a gracious offer. But ignoring it and treating it slightly will not be viewed with kindness. How many places are there today? How many churches across the U.S. are empty? The gospel's not preached there anymore. It's just empty. How many beautiful churches in the UK are empty or have been turned into museums or event centers or mosques? Places where the reformers and the Puritans used to preach the gospel with power. How many churches today that used to have the gospel preached from their pulpits now are still meeting, but instead of the gospel, they hear some feel-good drivel, some false gospel of the brotherhood of man where Jesus just wants everyone to be vaguely nice to one another. Not the words of life. Not the, uh, the words of Paul, God now commands all men everywhere to repent, but instead just sort of a, 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 a mushy, feel-good thing that is given. Is that any better than a silent pulpit? Is it not worse than a silent pulpit? To have a pulpit that preaches a false gospel, something that makes you feel good, that scratches the itching ears? Is this not a sign of God's judgment upon those congregations that grew hard? Refuse to listen, refuse to repentance. So many have heard the gospel, so many churches have heard the gospel and become callous. And then eventually the preaching of the gospel in truth is removed, and their blood is on their own heads. You see, refusing the gospel is a great evil. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus said, as the son of man, like the serpent in the wilderness, must be lifted up. This is the God of all creation. The one who made all things, who upholds all things, who breathed into man life and sustains our life, giving to us the one who is most precious. The sinless son, the one with the father in all eternity, perfect with the father. Same in substance, equal in power and glory. This one was given for sinful man, for unworthy man. There is no greater sacrifice. He took the form of a servant. Was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He was born under the law, born of a woman, God Almighty. He gave himself. And when we refuse the gospel, or when we continue to live as though we did not belong to Christ, we refuse to live in repentance, it is an offense against Christ. It is an offense against the Father who in love gave Christ. It is an offense against the Holy Spirit who called you to Christ. It is a grave evil to have ears silent to the gospel. The author of Hebrews says this, and the author of Hebrews has some of the most terrifying uh, warnings in all of Scripture. He says this in chapter 3, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Then verse 15, as it, it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those left, uh, who left Egypt led by Moses? Those who were saved from Egypt? God set free by his mighty salvation, the church? These were people who were supposed to be the church, God's people. That God had saved out of Egypt. They were the ones that hardened their heart in the wilderness. And with them, it says in verse 17, was he provoked for 40 years? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It is a grave evil to harden our hearts against God's calls to repentance faith Hebrews 6 he says this I won't read the whole section but he says for the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated re- receives a blessing from God but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned It is a grievous thing 
But for those who heed the offer of the gospel, there is mercy. Again, remember, this is, we're, we're in Corinth now. This is the, the planting of the Corinthian church. We know the rest of the story. These are the people who are gathering together for the Lord's Supper and they were refusing to allow some to have uh, to participate. Some were going hungry and others were drunk. This is the group of people where the, the, the fellow was married to his stepmother. These are the people that were suing one another after they had professed faith in Christ. It wasn't a worthy people. It wasn't a people that were so much better than everyone else. But they had heeded the call of the gospel. They had repented. And they were called again to repentance. And they were to heed that word as well. They were to come to Christ in faith. And then as they received the word again from Paul in 1 Corinthians, they were to heed that and repent and to continue following Christ and not, not be the ground that, that offers up thorns and thistles whose end is to be burned. They were to repent. They were to live in repentance. And they found mercy. For all those who believe, who follow Christ, who live in repentance, they find mercy. This is what's offered. It's not that based on your goodness but on the mercy of God, and he calls you to believe, to follow him. The Corinthian church was a group that found mercy where the Corinthian synagogue hardened their hearts and refused to listen. I can't imagine that the people in the Corinthian church were morally superior, had better personalities than the people in the Corinthian synagogue. But they heeded the call of the gospel and they found mercy. I'm I'm often astonished at the frequency with which people talk about uh, the truth or falsity of the gospel based on the goodness and consistency of those who call themselves Christians. Again and again, I hear from atheists or, or more liberal Christians, well, look at, look at this. We can find this instance of, say, a pastor falling away or somebody living in or, or uh, committing a scandalous sin. They say, how can that be true? Look at the people who call themselves Christians. How can the gospel be true? Look at those people. They're hypocrites. They're not nice. How could the gospel possibly be true? Or then for the more liberal, how could the the conservatives be true? These people, they think they're so great that they have the only doctrine that's true. They, They follow the creeds and they follow their confessions. They think those are so great. How could it possibly be true? Look at them. They're sinners. And I just think, can someone like that have possibly ever understood the gospel message? A gospel message that calls unworthy sinners, sinners, sinners to 
to repentance and faith, salvation in Christ. We don't claim to have, have any merit of this. But it is the mercy of God in Christ that saves us. And then, yes, we do fall into temptation. We do fall into sin. We do things that are hypocritical. We do things that contradict our professions of faith. And we come back and we repent. Amen. It's not a badge of honor. We don't sin that grace may abound. But we come back in humility, looking to Christ in faith, asking God's forgiveness for our sins, trusting in him alone. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is offered freely to all who believe. This is a limited time offer. It's a limited time offer. This this passage serves as a grave warning. These people, they had the Apostle Paul there preaching to them, explaining the scriptures to them. The offer was extended to them. And then it came to an end. And he shook off the dust. He said, your blood is on your own head. You see here, there's, there's one man, they're a ruler in the synagogue, or the ruler of the synagogue. He listened. He was persecuted. But he found mercy. Do not ignore the the call of Christ to you, even for a moment. Don't don't think, I will repent tomorrow. I'll repent, I'll I'll get to living uh, in repentance, and I'll I'll get to praying, and I'll get to to living more like a Christian later. I need to get through my life, uh, this part of my life right now. If I could just get beyond this then I'll I'll become more serious about Christ. You do not know when that call will be rescinded. When God will say, you have had your last call to repentance and your heart is hardened. The gospel has been preached from this pulpit for many years from different men. Pastors who have brought the gospel of Jesus Christ and offered Christ. In other words, God has called you. He's given you the offer of the gospel. He's offered you his son. He's called you to repentance. So how have you responded? Are you like the ruler of the synagogue? who believed in Christ, was willing to suffer for the name of Christ? Are you like these others, these scoffers, the hard-hearted, the ones who would not listen? So God has called you. How have you responded? Let's pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you have extended call of the gospel to us. 
We did not choose to be born in this era. We did not choose the place or the time of our birth. We could have been born in a far country long before the gospel came, but you gave it to us. You allowed us to hear it. You allowed us to be called to repentance. So Lord, help us to continually heed that call. To never harden our hearts, never never try to live for self and live to the world for a time as though we could just turn back to Christ at any given time, as though we had all the time that we desire. Lord, help us to have soft hearts towards you, to respond when you call us to repentance. Lord, may we draw near with confidence to your throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.